Three, two, one, here we go. Hello everyone, I'm Brian the Rain Man Lucas. Welcome to Rain Man's Take, observations on the world we live in. We're going to take a deeper dive into topics of interest to me, including politics, current events, history, popular culture, and social issues. You'll find the diversity of topics refreshing. In our clickbait, soundbite society, we rarely get the whole story. Rain Man's Take interviews interesting people as well as peeling back the onion on specific topics all with the goal of getting people to think more deeply about a subject. Hey everybody, it's the Rain Man. Um, wanna welcome back my wingman, the Sage. Uh, I brought him on today because we've got a really, really interesting interview that uh, there's a lot of information and, and Bill is, uh, is pretty versed in it as well. But we're gonna be talking with somebody who's really involved and I figure the two of us would be better. That way uh, we get as much information out there as possible. So my guest today is, or our guest today, is Dan Vaughn. And Dan is the president of the board of directors of the Olivenhain Town Council. Dan, how are you today? I'm doing great, thanks. Perfect, perfect. Listen, thank you very much for, uh, for joining us today. Um, the subject matter that we're gonna be talking about is, is uh, of interest to anybody who lives not only in the town of Encinitas, but in North County in general. Uh, and and so we wanted to have Dan on because he is heavily involved in it. So, um, Dan, how about we do this? Why don't we start by just kind of giving us a little bit of an idea of what the Olivenhain Town Council uh, is doing currently right now. Sure, great. So Olivenhain Town Council is uh, founded primarily to protect, promote, and preserve uh, the historic nature of Olivenhain and especially the uh, national landmark buildings, the Olivenhain the Levenheim Town Hall and the hotel on the property. Um, these uh, buildings go back to the original uh, settlement of the area by uh, German colonists. Um, they came here in the 1880s and uh, built the meeting hall back in 1892. And it's been sort of the social and community center of Levenheim ever since. Um, in the 1960s, Levenheim Town Council was formed to uh, take ownership of those buildings, to restore them, and to uh, you know, provide public access to those buildings. Uh, over the years, we remodeled uh, the, the town hall, or, or basically refurbished it, and then uh, got it registered as a, as a National Historic Landmark. Um, we moved to other of the old uh, 19th century buildings from around Olivenhain when they were getting ready to be destroyed for to make way for new uses of the property onto the grounds and we preserve and 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 have rehabilitated them as well. Nice. That includes the Hotel Germania, which was the largest housing uh, during the settlement, um, served served a large large family, the Brocks, um, and then also serves as the only guest uh, lodging for folks coming coming through. Um, and the, the town council also puts on a number of uh, fundraisers, uh, a beer and broads fest, an Oktoberfest, that sort of celebrate the, the historic legacy of, of Olivenhain. Um, and, and we uh, provide free use of the facilities to a bunch of uh, worthy groups like the, the Scouts and the 4-H and, and, and youth groups, et cetera. So it's really uh, central to the community of Olivenhain. Nice, and if I'm not mistaken, you guys hold your, your meetings there, don't you? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So what, what I wanted to do here, uh, Dan, is just kind of give a quick sort of uh, background, kind of a 
35,000 foot view of what's going on. And then we'll kind of work our way down into the big elephant in the room, which is the Goodson Malik development. So um, for all of you out there that may not know this, uh, the town of Encinitas is made up of five uh, separate portions of North County. You got Old Encinitas, New Encinitas, uh, Olivenhain, Lucadia, and Cardiff by the Sea. And that was incorporated in 1986 with the idea being that the citizens of those five areas wanted to get together and have more control over things like zoning within that, within that, uh, within that city limits. And so um, that is uh, important because of what we're about to, what we're about to discuss, the regional housing needs assessment, which is uh, basically the state mandating that each uh, incorporated area of California needs to have a certain percentage of affordable housing within those communities. Um, and so why don't, we, why don't we start from from there, Dan, can you give us a little bit of uh, your thoughts on that, that mandate from the state, the, uh, the RHNA? Yeah, absolutely. Let me, let me take it back even a little bit farther to the founding of, of uh, Encinitas and especially as it relates to Olivenhain. Shortly before the founding of the, the, the old 7-Eleven property at the corner of Encinitas Boulevard and Rancho Santa Fe was, was being proposed and we were still county unincorporated at that time. And so it was the county that was, was reviewing that uh, proposal. And the uh, farmers and rural residents of, of Olivenhain uh, were out there protesting with picket signs and, and the, the young people with their goats and sheep and lambs and uh they, they basically blocked the road with exactly exactly wow. and so yeah. so we have, we have a, a wonderful picture of, of those protests and and in that you can see the uh the open space from the corner that's going up and in where they're they're proposing building the the, the apartment complex now yeah. um and then uh, to get to your question about the the arena numbers and, and whatnot uh the state has a law that, that every municipality has to have a housing element as part of its general plan. Um, and that gets updated every eight years. And we're right at the beginning of the sixth cycle housing element and right at the end of the fifth cycle. And Encinitas uh, has largely been um, very protective of the sort of community character in town. People, people love Encinitas the way it is. And, by and large, don't want to see it be overdeveloped with lots of you know, high-rise development and things like that. Um, and so we've had trouble adopting housing elements over the year. And this fifth cycle was, was adopted um, last spring, last winter, I guess, March of uh, 2019, um, by sort of court order. And um, over the objections of the, of the citizen vote, which is the Prop A vote, which is a, a municipal law um, that, that requires a, a majority vote of the citizens in order to upzone property. Um, and so the building industry uh, took the city to court um, to get them to adopt a housing element. Uh, and the court decided that, yeah, the state law of, of providing this housing element outweighs the, the, the citizens' right to vote on this. And so they forced the city to adopt a, a, a housing element that we comply with state law. And they uh, uh, sort of put the, the, the um, power in the hands of the State uh, Housing and Community Development or HCD agency. So 
HCD got to tell the city what they could or couldn't do in, in that housing element. The city had some discretion in terms of which particular parcels got up, up zoned, but, but HCD had a lot to do with this. And so we kind of lost local control of our land use zoning through that process. And as a result, the city ended up upzoning, I think it was 15 total parcels for what they call R30, or 30 unit per acre density, uh, which is um, pretty high density for by Encinita standards. Um, even, even our uh, apartment complexes tend to be 20 units per acre or less. Um, and one of those par parcels that got up zoned was the Goodson property that we're gonna talk about today. Um, and in doing the, the up zoning, they needed to, to provide adequate sites, adequate inventory to, to provide the housing needs for the city of Encinitas as determined by SANDAG, or the San Diego uh, Association of Governments. And, and SANDAG sets these RENA numbers, the Regional Housing Needs Assessment numbers. And so with that, the city had to provide potential housing for about a thousand um, what they call low income or very low income housing units. And so this is housing that's affordable to people who make 50% of the area median income or less. The area in this case is the County of San Diego. And so that means uh, for a family of four making about $80,000 a year, it needs to be affordable, which means you're spending only about 30% of your take home pay on housing. Um, and and the, the regional housing needs also sort of specifies some, some other thresholds and, and income levels that, that you need to provide housing for. And, and by and large, Encinitas has practically no housing for the poorest citizens and a lot of housing for you know, the wealthy citizens. Yeah, yeah. Um, hey, real quick before, before we get into uh, to Bill's question, I just wanna, kind of, if you could just go back to the lawsuit real quick. Was it the state was suing Encinitas to, to take control over the rezoning? Is it, did I, did I no, hear that? It was, it was the building industry, the, the BIA, Building Industry Association of San Diego, that was the primary uh, force suing us. And, and they uh, sued the state, the city, because the city wasn't meeting the state law. And the judge in that case um, said, cited largely with the building industry, uh, there was a negotiated settlement between the city and the building industry. And the, the, the court order was that the city had to adopt a housing element that, was, that would be approved by the state housing uh, HCD agency. Right. So much for uh, so much for the citizens uh, running the, uh, the or the government for the citizens, huh? <laughs> yeah, it definitely okay. took the took the loan land use away from us. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it took, to pile up on on that one um, again, the the whole founding and purpose of Levenhain or NCS itself was to have local control, and and now we just see more and more of uh, state control or central control, and we see the only our own city council of Encinitas kind of piling on and backing up that centralized control from um, Sacramento or wherever. Um, not in line with really a free citizenry. You know, we can go in that direction, but I'd like to, to dial back a little bit into their, their the way they rationalize this. And you, you touched on high density housing and they talk about helping the people to affordable housing for low-income people to come in here and do this, but I mean, what's the reality with this um, high-density housing? Does it really 
do the things that they want it to do or, or fall in line with the, the whole rationale behind this, um, this RENA, this Regional Housing Needs Assessment? Yeah, so uh, the, the way that the R30 developments are playing out um, is, is telling. So at this point, we have seven um, of the 15 properties that have pending uh, submissions with the planning department. And so we know what, what those are proposing. Um, there's four more that have had uh, what they call staff advisory committee meetings or, or uh, sort of formal consultations pre-submission with the planning department. And so we have a pretty good idea of what's coming down the pipe from those four as well. And what we're, and, and collectively those 11 represent about 95% of the inventory that was identified in the fifth cycle. Um, so this is pretty comprehensive. What we're seeing is that there's zero housing um, units that are being built or proposed that would be affordable to folks making what they call extremely low income. And so this is basically folks on fixed income, disability income, that kind of stuff, uh, totally priced out of, of, of Encinitas. Next income group, uh, sort of two, two wage earners making, um, uh, you know, 15 bucks an hour or something like that, gets them up to about maybe 50K in, in annual salary. That's what they call very low income. And there's 40 units um, out of a, a needed about 260 units that are coming through from this R30 zoning, all from, from a single project, uh, what they call the, the agrohood at Fox Point Farms. This is a development sort of across from the Encinitas Municipal Golf Course on the old greenhouse properties there, the Ector property. Um, the rest of the, the developments almost exclusively are uh, taking advantage of, of two state laws to build not 30 units per acre, but 35% more than that. Over 40 units per acre through a density bonus law that the state has passed. And that density bonus law allows them also to ignore the, the, the city code on parking requirements and, and underpark the projects. Um, and it allows them to waive uh, the, the city uh, regulations with regards to things like height and setbacks if they, if they, if they need to. Um, and, and the second law is this by right development. And this was even more troubling. By, by establishing some uh, low income units um, at the 80% uh, median income or below is 80K for a family of four, they, and this ends up being about 15% of the total project, they're able to bypass the city's discretionary review of their projects. And they're also able to bypass the, the state environmental quality law, CEQA. No. And so there's no CEQA review, so you don't analyze and you don't mitigate any of the environmental impacts of these projects. And you're ending up uh, without the city really being able to, to meaningfully review the projects. Um, and so what we're ending up seeing is that instead of the uh, planned inventory of, of housing, we're getting about a quarter of that uh, being built for these 80% MFI houses and, and, and a handful for 50% um, median households. But instead what we're getting is about 140% of the planned total units, the vast majority, 85% of them being market rate units, which will only be affordable to the wealthy. Yeah, that, that's the one thing that really kind of bothers me about this um, is 
the state, yeah, they say we want, we need low income housing, but then all these loopholes are, are set up so that it's actually not even going to do it. So it's almost as if they're like, okay, we said it, everybody heard it. We want to help, but we really don't. I mean, that's in their actions. It's obvious that they're not trying to solve the problem. Is that kind of your take on it as well? Or is there any way to go, go like go back to the state and say your original premise was off? Yeah, I mean, right, state politics are uh, kind of broken right now. And what, what we see in this particular case is, is what has been termed the unholy alliance between the building industry and a certain subset of affordable housing advocates, um, generally organizations that are, that are paid heavily by the building industry, um, folks that have draw salaries and stuff from these sorts of organizations, there's low livelihood depends on that, that support. Um, and then the third leg of this is the high tech industry up in San Francisco. And this, these are the folks that are, you know, making their 100K plus uh, programmer salaries and stuff like that, have no place to live because the Bay Area is full, Silicon Valley is full. And so, you know, the price of housing and the availability of housing is just gone crazy up there. And so what's ending up happening is that the, those folks are advocating a build, build, build mindset. They, they call themselves Yimbis, yes, in my backyard. They want any development anywhere, anytime. And what the building industry wants to build is expensive, highly profitable units that are, that are tailored to, to these high wage earners. And so who gets left out of that? It's, it's the people that are living in the existing communities, right? In, in many neighborhoods throughout uh, Encinitas and in Olivenheim, we have older properties. Um, they're, they're small, modest houses on big lots. Um, that's, that's sort of who we are. That's what Olivenheim is. And, and many of these folks now are, are retirement age people. They've lived in their houses for 30, 40, 50 years. Um, they're not rich. Um, they paid off their house, they, they, they get to live there. Um, and they want to continue to live in a community that, that reflects what, what they've raised their families in, what they've lived in for most, and in some cases, all of their lives. And, and what this, what's happening when, when the state and the building industry gets to build what they want to build is instead we get these high density, sort of luxury apartment complexes popping up right in the middle of, of rural Olivenheim. Yeah. Yeah, I got it, Dan. And I think what we're talking about is, again, we talked about people want local control, but what's really happening is, is it's getting forced down their throats from, from higher from the state government. And me wrap this up in my mind, they, they, uh, they rationalize this by saying, well, we need to provide affordable housing. And they also steep it in this um, climate change stuff where we need to reduce our carbon footprint and be more structurally efficient with the resources we have out there now. But in reality, when it comes out, when you see the plans as they really are, it's really not providing a bunch of affordable housing and it's really not taking in the climate into consideration, right? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So I think, I think we all can kind of agree that as, as folks who've raised families in Encinitas, it's expensive. 
it's, it's hard for our kids to be able to afford to live, live in Encinitas. I've got an adult daughter who makes 150K a year or something. She's in North Carolina because she could get a lot more value for her, her housing out there. Um, and that's, and that's you know, a, a problem for our community. So we definitely do need to build more housing that is affordable or to at least maintain the existing stock that is affordable. Um, you know, likewise, we need to be good stewards of our environment, right? We're, we're the ones that sort of control some of that and we need to do a good job. So I don't think there's much debate that we need to take care of the environment and provide a range of housing to, to satisfy the people that live here and, and have grown up here. Um, but how we do that's the problem. And this R30 zoning solution doesn't do what's, what, it, what it promotes itself as doing. There's, there, the state has declared that there's a presumption of affordability if you build housing densities of 30 units or above. And because of that, when the city zones the property, initially they get full credit for the, the zoning that they've, that they've made available for low and very low income housing. They get full credit when they, when they, when they make the zoning change. But then there's a second part of the state law, this no net loss rule. And what that does is when the, when the building actually gets approved, then the city has to do a reconciliation. Okay, how many units are really going to be affordable and how many are going to be market rate and not affordable? And in this case, most of these projects are put in 85% that are, that are market rate and unaffordable. And so the city needs to immediately or within 180 days find new sites to upzone to replace the sites that they originally upzoned that got built for people that that's insane. That is it, insane. Is. it is. One of my colleagues at Encinitas Residents for Responsible Development calculates that you need to basically build two Encinitas in order to use this system to provide the state mandated affordable housing. Right, right. Wow, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. Go ahead. So uh, let's, let's kind of start to, uh, so that's kind of the, what we're up against, uh, kind of how the, how the, the ball is bouncing now. And, and before we go into kind of the specifics of, of these public uh, hearings that have happened in the past, uh, we're talking right now about rural residential zone, which is what kind of a Liebenhain is and a lot of Encinitas is. Um, and it just, it does not have the infrastructure for any of these, any of these size projects. So that's where the big, uh, at least in my mind, those are the big stumbling blocks to to any of these things. But aside from that, let's kind of let's kind of now get into um, okay. The lawsuit happened. Uh, it was sent down from on high to Encinitas. This is what you will do. And now we start with the with the uh, with the city council and these public hearings. How do you think? The, the, and we won't even get into the Zoom call in July because that we definitely want to get into, but we don't get into that now. There were several live at the city council where the citizenry could, uh, could come and, and, and state their piece. And those were standing room only. I mean, they were well, well attended. Um, How do you think those went? Yeah, so I think what you're talking about primarily is the, the housing element or the the first city council meeting planning commission joint meeting back in December 
2019, where they were initially starting to consider this sixth cycle of the housing element. And by that point, the very first project had been submitted and was public. And that was this Goodson project, which was proposing a seven story, 272 at that time, uh, unit apartment complex right behind the, the 7-Eleven in the heart of Olivenheim. And so myself and, and, and many, many others came forward and, and said, okay, so now that we've got a project under the, the housing element, we get to see what, what it really is. And all of that stuff that we just talked about, the by right development, the 35% density bonus laws, all that stuff was now right in front of us. We knew that that's what was coming from, from as a result of the housing element. Um, and the, the citizens uh, brought up a, a ton of really good and legitimate concerns. There was one woman um, who, who spent her life as an EMT. She's retired now. She, she's a horse person back here at Olivenhain. And, and she was just emotionally distraught at the, the prospect that there was gonna be another paradise-like uh, tragedy when the fires inevitably come from the east, down the, down the creek bed or whatever. How do you get out? And, and it's, it's a struggle now. The city projects that it's gonna take four hours to clear the, the valley in the case of, of, a, of a wildfire coming from the east. And in those calculations, they haven't yet factored in anybody evacuating from Rancho Santa Fe through the valley. Um, and so that's gonna undoubtedly add another 20, 30% of, 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 of traffic that's coming through here. Now imagine um, the only way out of the valley is Rancho Santa Fe Road. You either, you either go uh, south to Encinitas Boulevard in Manchester, or you go north to, to, to Carlsbad and, and, and Olivenine Boulevard, et cetera. The project being proposed here would have about 500 cars associated with it. Um, and basically put a cork in the, in the Rancho Santa Fe heading south uh, version of that, of that escape route. And, and that really scared the bejesus out of her. She got kind of hysterical. The, the, the city uh, mayor uh, threatened to have the sheriff uh, remove her. Um, wow. And, and, and it, was, it was genuine emotion that she was having. This was honest fear of her life, her animals' lives. Uh, just, just, you know, really a frightening prospect. Well, and, and what's interesting, and, and, and Bill, you asked your uh, question here in a second. What's interesting about that is, no, she's not just being paranoid because a couple of years ago, that fire out in Temecula that ran across the 15 and the 76, that wiped out a horse training facility out there. So it is, that, that danger is real. Absolutely. No, back in, uh, was it uh, 2007, we evacuated our home right there and the, right there believe in Haines. so it's not like it's there's no precedent for that it could easily happen so yeah, yeah we got lucky right i mean the the, the winds uh, shifted a yeah. little bit the, the bridges uh, golf course was was where it ended up stopping right on the edge of town right yeah. so easily could have been a lot worse no doubt about it so let's dial it down specifically to the project that's proposed in Levenhain, right on the, in Levenhain itself, the uh, Encinitas Boulevard apartment, for those of you who aren't aware, right at the, the intersection of Manchester, as we've discussed, Manchester, Encinitas Boulevard, Rancho, say, Rancho Santa Fe, they want to put this high-rise, high-density apartment building. Of, you, you depends what you read, 
originally planned for 240 and then maybe to 270, depending on what kind of bonuses the, the developer gets. Um, can you elaborate on what that would really look like? <laughs> yeah, um, so it's up to 283 now. That's the, the number currently uh, been submitted. Um, it would be 70 feet tall. Um, it would be, what they would do is they would grade the property. Um, so basically building an artificial cliff at the Rancho Santa Fe frontage up 20 feet above uh, the road grade. And so the building would start at that level and go 70 feet up from that. They are going to build a retaining wall and then level it off? No, it's, it's the 2-1 dirt uh, okay. steep, steep slope. But, gotcha. yeah. okay. um, and, 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 and to make it worse, right? I mean, you basically got this dirt, dirt ramp, steep ramp. They're going to put all of their water retention stuff up on top of that, heavy cement pools and stuff, to, to ensure that the landscaping irrigation makes that uh, permanently saturated. And then when the big rains come and all the extra weight and water gets in there, what do, what do we think is going to happen? Right? I and mean, we're just going to have another cliff collapse down on Rancho Santa Fe Road. Um, the, the building itself, though, 70 feet tall, it's, it's also a huge building. There's a uh, six-story, uh, 470, 80 car garage in the middle of the building. And that's completely hidden from public view because it's totally surrounded by apartment buildings on all sides. Um, on top of it, they've got a seventh story, which is luxury rooftop amenities, a, a, a pool, a, a clubhouse, an exercise uh, spa. Um, and so the, the uh, chairman of the planning commission has described this as three and a half Home Depots stacked on top of each other. Right. God, that's incredible. That really is. For people that don't live here, this, this road is already, we, we have this very rural housing, uh, acre of land maybe per house. That road is already stop and go with a few stop signs through it. It's already, I wouldn't say a traffic nightmare, but it's not easy to get through. So let's add 400 more cars. Sure. Okay. Wow. Wow. <laughs> um, so right. Dan, on, that, on that traffic yeah. point, right? On the traffic point, at one end of Rancho Santa Fe Road, they're going to now put in 283 new families. And those kids all go to school at the other end of Rancho Santa Fe Road, at Believing Hang Pioneer, Deganio Middle, LCC. So you're going to have in the morning 200 plus families driving down Rancho Santa Fe to take their kids to school and then back on top of the, the, the traffic that in the morning already is a major through route that, that much of East County travels south through, through Alinehan. Um, and as you said, about half an hour, bumper to bumper. So it's also right on, right up against the lagoon. So, I mean, what are the impacts there? When you talk about water runoff, we're, we're, we're told, we're counseled about that all the time. What, what you put in, you know, on the ground goes out and, and, and kills dolphins out in the ocean. Here we're gonna put this right near that lagoon. Um, who knows what that would cause? I, I, and again, how much of that would be um, affordable? Maybe 15% according to what they define affordable as. So again, back to the whole rationalization for this high density housing, is it really in favor of the environment and is it really affordable? 
Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not affordable. It's 42 units that would be, that would be affordable to folks making 80K a year. Um, it, that's not nothing, right? I mean, that's 40 families of uh, firefighters, nurses, uh, you know, store manager type folks that, that would live or work here. So, so it's helpful, but what, at what cost, right? And that's, I think, what you're, what you're, what you're getting at. So there's a total of 283 units that are coming in. And, and what does that do to the, to, to the environment? You've talked about uh, water runoff issues, but, but let's talk a little bit about greenhouse gas emissions. And, and, and right, NCD's RD projects that those 283 units, because we don't have mass, it's not near qualifying mass transit, there's, there's, there's not the jobs in Encinitas to support those, those rents uh, by and large. So the vast majority of these folks are gonna be commuting down to UTC or similar job centers. Um, and that looks like it's gonna be 10 million additional vehicle miles traveled per year for just this one development, right? And now you've got 14 more of those coming into the city. So, so what are we doing for climate change and greenhouse gas emissions, right? It's clearly not where we need to put high density housing. Exactly. I mean, the whole rationale behind that whole high density housing is you'd be in close proximity to a, a, a transit system. And at the same time, the people will be able to bike to where they want to go shopping, to go out to dinner, et cetera, et cetera. And that is not the case with this project. You, we have a bus stop about a quarter mile or so up the road. There's a bus stop right there. It's on the 304 system. And yeah. it, comes, it comes twice a day heading west and three times a day heading east, Monday through Friday, and doesn't run at all on the weekends. Um, right. That's, that's, that's the public transportation that's available to, to this house. Nobody will use it. Um, maybe maybe if, the, if the wealthy residents need uh, some, some cleaning services or whatever. Uh, that's who, who, who rides the bus right now. Yeah. Um, so th th this, is the, this is the one thing that, getting back to, uh, I'm, I'm really frustrated with the state on this because Obviously, it's a one-party system. It's heavily liberal Democrat up in Sacramento, and of all for all the talk that they give and the and the the support that they give for the environment, this is exactly the opposite. That's right. It doesn't it doesn't provide the low-income housing that, that we agree we need in Encinitas, uh, at least not meaningfully, and it and it comes at the cost of serious environmental damage that isn't being studied and isn't being mitigated. So if they, if they basically, it sounds like they just feel like they can say whatever they want and do whatever they want because you know, they're pretty well, their jobs are pretty well secured. Bringing it back down to the local level, the Encinitas City Council, are they that bad as well? Or are, is any of them, are they at all threatened about their job the next election? Yeah, so, so Alina Town Council is a, is a nonprofit organization that, that is, is nonpartisan and, and can't really uh, pick sides in, in, in an election. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to be a little bit careful here and, and just try to be as, as nonpartisan and, and, and uh, fair minded as I possibly can be. Yeah, real quick before you continue, because I definitely want to hear this. If, if you feel like we're pushing you to be partisan, we apologize. <laughs> it's okay. All right. I'm a big boy. I can handle it. Um, the, so, so the, 
I honestly believe that the city felt their hands were tied, that the state HCD, the big bad bully wolves was pushing them to, to upzone these R30 projects. Um, I think they looked honestly for uh, other alternatives, but, but they just couldn't get their, their majority around any solution that was better than this. And so they, they went to this R30 zoning because of the presumption of affordability, because on paper at least they could solve the problem very quickly and easily. Um, and, and they told us at the time that, you know, it'll be years before these projects get built. Uh, the chairman of the planning commission said, nah, it'll be a gold rush. Uh, they said that it, we wouldn't trigger by right development. Nobody needs density bonus on top of the 30 units. They're already set. Even town council said, no, nah, they're going to do uh, by right development. Um, and so I think that they somewhat naively believed that, that this solution wasn't as bad as it really is turning out to be. Um, and, and so, you know, on the other side of this, as we said, right, in 87 or whatever it was, 86, NCDS was formed and, and we've had this long history of saying no to, to right. high density development. We, we haven't done a very good job as a city of providing the low income housing that, that you know, our kids and, 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 and many of the service workers need. So, so they inherited a problem um, that wasn't necessarily of their making. They felt compelled to be legally compliant and, and for good reason, you know, the city takes some financial punishments for non-compliance. Non right. um, and so, you know, they, to their credit, they did get something in there that was legally compliant. I don't think it was the right thing. I don't think it was a wise thing, but it was something. And, and that hadn't happened previously. So, you know, I guess kudos to them for that. Um, but, you know, what we really believe is that, that we collectively as a city need to come together and plan housing that really makes sense for us, that will really be built, um, and that, that will really provide the, the needed stuff and doesn't come with all the warts of this crazy high density stuff, all the traffic, all the uh, assaults on community character. So I think I hear what you're saying, Dan. I, I, I just wish there was some way that we, the citizens, with the developer's participation, could in some way communicate our concerns to the Encinitas City Council. You would think that maybe there would be a process for that to happen. Wait, there is a process. It's called <laughs> the Citizens Participation Plan, right? That's right. It's required by the city council that the developer yeah. lay this out for the people that are going to be impacted, people of the community, to tell them what exactly they are planning, how they to address concerns and to mitigate those and to and, and bring this together as a community. And they actually did this on the 23rd of July. And were you part of that? And how do you think that went? <laughs> yeah, so the, the Citizen uh, Participation Plan, the CPP, as it's known, is, is uh, part of the NCD's municipal code, actually. So it's a, it's a, a legal requirement for the new developers, um, any, any significant project. And so uh, in compliance with that, uh, Mr. Goodson circulated invitations to a Zoom meeting 
Um, it was going to be, a, a, I think, four-hour meeting. Um, uh, started at six o'clock that that uh, uh, date that you mentioned in late July, a Thursday. And um, the whole point of a CPP is for the developer to introduce his project and to initiate a, a dialogue with the citizens, uh, the, the residents that would be impacted by this, the neighbors. Um, and it's meant to sort of bring to the table fairly early issues and, and challenges and concerns. Um, and, you know, the, it isn't a uh, approval or rejection kind of meeting. It isn't something where the developer is required to solve every problem that the residents uh, bring up, but it is required to have a dialogue. You know, a two-way conversation where he presents his stuff, the citizens get to ask questions, he can try to avoid answering them, they get to ask follow-up questions, hey, like, dialogue. Not to interfere, Dan, but that's my whole relationship with Brian. It's like, <laughs> it should be a dialogue, right? It's, it isn't just Brian talking all the time. Shouldn't I be able to chime in? But okay, uh, sorry, I'm off script. <laughs> Sounds like you guys have some personal issues to work through. I'm gonna I'm gonna stay out of that one. Um, but yeah, so so the CPP ended up happening um, at at six o'clock on on that Thursday. The 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 meeting started and uh, Mr. Goodson uh, provided a, a PowerPoint slide deck of, of of his project in whatever most favorable light he could possibly uh, uh, describe it. Um, he didn't use the word three and a half Home Depot stacked on top of each other, for example. Um, <laughs> there was, um, I think, about 600 people who had, who had uh, signed up to get the Zoom invitation and attend. Um, and the vast majority of them were sitting in a waiting room, a virtual waiting room, not able to get into the meeting. Only the first 50 people or so got into the meeting, people that had, had logged in 15 minutes early. Um, and I was one that was on the outside looking in. Uh, but, uh, but I have friends that were in there. <laughs> and uh, about 15, 20 minutes into the meeting, I guess it became apparent that there was this problem of lots of people not being let in. So they solved the problem, let in whoever had stuck around long enough uh, in the virtual limbo to, to, to get in. Um, I got in through a, a telephone call and he restarted his, his presentation and, and, and talked through his, his slides for about 20 minutes. Um, after which he took some questions, um, but not from the audience, from his administrator. She was reading questions that, that may or may not have come from the audience, from unplanted by friendlies or just stuff that they teed up ahead of time. Uh, but she read him questions uh, saying that they were uh, from the public we wouldn't have any way of knowing because he turned off the chat uh, so that we weren't, it wasn't visible to any of us. The only place the chat went was to him and his, and his admin. Um, and so he, he handled the, about 10 minutes worth of those uh, uh, cherry picked questions and then he cut the meeting off. Um, so the citizens had no opportunity to speak, no voice, no opportunity to follow up. And if, any of the questions that were read were, were truly written by the citizens. We have no way of knowing or verifying even that. Um, one of the participants was seen holding up a sign that said, let us speak. That was the only input we had from another person. Now, now Dan, that, that, if you can call it a public meeting, 
does that go, does he get credit for that in terms of his, his project going through the city council? He, he can say, hey, I had this, I had this meeting. Yeah, so the, the, it t- turns out that the very next day, that Friday, the city responded to his third round submission of this project. And in that uh, response, they said, hey, wait a second, this CPP is no good. You know, you, you did all these bad things. And, and, and he, he cried foul, hey, city, you can't tell me to do that, that it's no good. You're just taking one side of the story. You haven't heard my side. Let me, let me submit my, my CTP report and, and, and make, make my point. Um, and so they said, okay, you can submit your report. And he did. Um, and through a Public Record Act request, we have it. Um, and the, the, the report basically took all of the citizens' questions that were asked, and, and, and there was hundreds, um, lots of great questions, and basically broke them down into five answers. And he just, you know, no, no, uh, you're asking about the bulk of the, of the project and how that compares to the, to the community standards. Uh, that's a subjective assessment and I don't have to deal with it. Um, 70 feet high, subjective. Um, traffic, oh, the traffic was studied extensively by the city back in a major T thing. There's no impact, don't worry about it. Um, right? all, all the questions got reduced down to five answers. It was crazy. Um, so the city, took some time and studied the report and consulted with their lawyers and came back uh, early this week, or maybe the very end of last week, I think it was the very end of last week, and told him, no, we, we, we read your report, we carefully heard your side of the argument too, and it's still inadequate. Um, oh, good, good. And, and so good. as of, I believe, Tuesday of this week, um, I, I hear from sources at City Hall, that he has agreed to, to do another CPP. So we can look forward to that. Hopefully, hopefully in person. I doubt it, but yeah, I mean, that would be better. Yeah. Um, let me chime in real quick. Um, the the in-person uh, public hearings that we've had with the city or with, the, with the, uh, the council, have they been effective? Do you think, do you think the city council has a really good idea of, of what the citizens are thinking? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that there's, there's no uh, question um, among any of the city council members that this project is deeply, deeply unpopular, not just throughout the Hind Valley, but also uh, citywide and, and, and neighboring uh, communities, Rancho Santa Fe's uh, up in arms about it as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt that they know where we're coming from, but but to be fair, we haven't really had a public hearing since pre-COVID. Right. And and do you think uh, do you think that the ones that that are agreeing with moving forward with this with this uh, project, do you think that they think they're committing political suicide by doing so, or no? Um, right. Because the issue will eventually get in front of the city council the city council justifiably has the out that they can't comment on a matter that's eventually going to get in front of them or they avoid their ability to, to, to vote in that uh, uh, appeal. Um, so so they, they're not on the record uh, for or against any of the projects. Um, but if you read between the lines, I think that uh, especially with the Goodson project, the city has been very strict in making him go through 
dotting every I and crossing every T. He's uh, built, I think, and this is just my interpretation, but it looks like he's pissed off even the city council. He originally had promised this as a 140, 150 unit senior assisted living center. Wow. <laughs> three wow. stories, it's gonna be three stories, no real traffic impact because you know people aren't commuting. You know, no maybe, school. Maybe now I'm in favor of it. If it if I can live there, it's good. <laughs> so, so 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 right, that was that was what he had sold the city council. That's what he told wow. the neighbors up until the moment that the housing element got adopted. That same week he turned around and went to the planning staff and got his staff advisory uh, input on a large, I think at that time it was only 260 something unit apartment complex. So hey, he clearly, clearly he's not trustworthy. <laughs> right, right. Dan, I just wanna throw out a public service announcement for the Residents for a Responsible Development. It's a organization that's got together in response to a lot of this stuff. Um, these folks are uh, all about responsible development. They're all about uh, environmental um, security and looking out for the environment. And they're all about, if you really want to provide affordable housing, they have a much better plan. And I, I just like to get your opinion on this organization. And in, in particular, their response, they were, I think they were key to this response to the, the project we were just talking about. Yeah, yeah. So, so right. Full disclosure: MCDS Residents for Responsible Development. I'm the board chair for that organization, also. So oh, there you go. <laughs> um, and and so we formed that organization in response to just the jaw-dropping revelations as we dug into the original Goodson proposal last October, November, um, and what the ramifications of all this R30 zoning was, and and. And it was, it was just overwhelmingly obvious what this train wreck that we had we'd ended up uh, unleashing by, by starting this R30 zoning. Um, and so NCS Residents for Responsible Development, as you said, believes that we should provide housing that's desperately needed for um, all incomes and you know, the, the regional housing assessments aren't too bad as a guidance. I think they say that we need about 235 units each for, for, for extremely low and low income housing. Um, that's significant. Um, they say that we need probably about 400 units of, of this uh, low density housing um, and, and that we're okay um, in terms of moderate income housing and, and, and we've probably got excess for above moderate income housing in the city. The overall projection for Encinitas is that we need about 11% more uh, housing by 2050 to, to handle the population growth that's natural to Encinitas. Um, they've more than exceeded that just in the R30 upzoning. And at the same time, they haven't provided hardly any of the, of the needed low income housing. Um, and so we think there needs to be a better way, right? We, we, the city needs to come together and plan development that satisfies the need for, 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 for real housing uh, diversity and um, does so in a way that plans for the infrastructure needs of the city, does the environmental analysis, mitigates what we can, and, and builds the density where it makes sense. Near transit corridors already on, on um, you know, the, the, the larger through, through roads, 
um, down by the train station, etc. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I wanted to ask: Is is he is Goodson a, a citizen of Levenhain, or he does he just own that piece of property? Yeah. Uh, just a, a, a word on nomenclature. Um, Olivenhain, Olivenhain. Um, Olivenhain is the uh, <laughs> historic German pronunciation, and so many of the families uh, that, that have been here all through through uh, the period. Um, some of uh, our, 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 the head of the, the traffic commission lives in Olivenhain, and he's he's born in Germany, and he's he's very strict in in in, in our pronunciation of of the word. Um, it's not. We've lived in we've lived in Olivenhain for twenty years, and, and I can tell you that in, in common everyday English, Olivenhain, Olivenhain, most of us use them interchangeably. Hey Dan, you say tomato, I say tomato. Perfect. <laughs> no, it, it, it's, 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 I'm from the East Coast. I say aunt. Somebody says aunt. So uh, for all the people out there in Olivenhain. I apologize. You want to, if, you want to, if you want to be true to the German roots, it's a leaving and, and, uh, <laughs> I do. I definitely do. So getting back to our boy uh, Goodson, is he a local or is he from outside? So he, he uh, he's not really a local, um, but he did uh, put his kids through a Lieberhain Pioneer um, Elementary. Um, he, he has a house in the ranch development um, uh, in Carlsbad. Um, so, so he's, let's say, a, a, a neighbor to the region. Okay. And, and does he, I mean, do, well, obviously he's, he's looking to, to make as much money off of a development as developers try to do. And it just, it would seem to me that if somebody actually lived there and had that property, they would think this was insane. Yeah. Right. So, so. 99% of the population, um, you know, chooses not to defecate in their living room. Um, he might be the 1%. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, so, so, Dan, you, you talked about uh, we're coming to the end of the fifth element, and then we're starting to get into the sixth element of the, uh, of the HE. Uh, Give us your take on, on that, how that process is going. Yeah, so that, that's out for public comment right now. The, the draft of the six cycle housing element, um, which again is one of the key components of the general plan. When the fifth cycle was adopted, that's what gave us all these R30 zones. So now we're up for the sixth cycle and, and the city um, has to do it all over again. Um, and, and what they've proposed for the sixth cycle is uh, basically, an argument that goes along the lines of we were so late in upzoning properties for the fifth cycle that at this time we don't need to upzone any new properties. Um, and and that it's that at this time comment that's, that's the ticker because as we talked about earlier, there's this no net loss provision, and we already know what 95% of the inventory is going to be looking like because they've got submissions that are in, or they've at least had consultations with the uh, staff advisory committee meetings. So we know that it's not going to build the low income housing that, that the community needs. And we know that it's just a matter of time before they're going to need to find new places to build the low income housing. Um, about a week ago, the, the city heard back from the state HCD, the, 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 the big bad bully wolf in, in, in Sacramento, 
and got verbal comments. This Monday of this week, they, they revised the draft housing element to accommodate some of those uh, comments from HCD. And two of the big changes that came um, on Monday, first, they strike the word community character from the document. Really? Yeah. Yeah, apparently protecting the community character is no longer a priority. Um, I wrote an open letter to the, to the planning staff and the city council uh, on Wednesday and objected to that, you know. Yeah. In the general plan, one of the, if not the primary obligation for the city is to protect the character of our five core communities. You laid them out at the beginning, right? This is Cardiff, this is old Encinitas, this is Lucadia on the coast, this is new in Encinitas in the, in, the, in the center of El Camino, et cetera. And back here in the eastern part of the city, it's Olivenine. Um, we think that the community is worth protecting. And we think that, that the city shouldn't roll over to HCD and abandon the, the, the pursuit of preserving the character of those communities. Um, the, the state law does require the city to rely on objective rather than subjective standards in the evaluation of these kinds of things. And so to, to us, it's clear what the city needs to do is to establish objective standards that define what these community characters are and say what is and isn't allowed um, to, to happen. Um, a second element that came through from the, from the draft revision was an admission by the city that it is likely that they will need to identify additional sites for low-income housing during this housing cycle. They've updated the status of the, of the inventory from the last cycle. And it's clear um, in that update that we do need additional housing um, and probably sooner than later, although they don't go quite that far. Um, and so I think that all of that is, is interesting disclosure and it's timely. And because they uh, revised the, the, the document so late in the public comment period, public comment was due to end on Wednesday of this week, uh, they've extended it now to the 2nd of September. So, so the public does have an opportunity to weigh in and, and, and have an impact on, on this document, which as we're seeing is, is pivotal, pivotal to the land use decisions in our community. Gotcha, gotcha. Hey, Dan, I just wanted to kind of start to wrap this thing up here. Um, I wanted to bring it back to where we originally started. As you mentioned, talk about what was the foundation of leaving it? What was the foundation of Encinitas now as we understand the city was people wanted local control. And what we're looking at now is centralized control at the higher level, at the, at the state level. Um, when you, you think in terms of a democracy, um, that's directly opposed to that. So what, you know, you, you'd like to think to yourself that there's some method you could push back against this. Um, Proposition A was passed in 2013. The whole idea was that citizens would have approval over zoning in Encinitas. So in other words, if you wanted to, the city council wanted to rezone something, they needed to have people vote on it. That was overturned by a judge, um, Judge Ronald Frazier at the San Diego Supreme period court. So here we have, when you talk about the three branches of government, you have the executive and, and the legislative, I mean, I'm sorry, the, uh, the, the court system kind of pushing back on the citizens and, and basically leaving us with nowhere to go. And I, and I don't want to, we won't go into questioning 
the, the city council and what their perspective is, what their bias is, what their political agenda is, but here we are as citizens being pushed out. Um, where do you see this going in the future? Yeah, great question. So the, the, the court order that you're referring to didn't actually permanently take away Prop A. It yeah. suspended it temporarily for that fifth cycle housing element. And so the judge was, was very specific in, in what he'd done. Um, and what that left was ambiguity going forward. And so the city uh, of Encinitas went out and um, you've probably seen this yard sides around town, you know, the city, the, my mayor sued me or something. Yeah. Um, and and the, what that comes from is that the city sued the uh, folks who put Prop A on the ballot in the first place and, and tried to defend it in, in previous court orders. They, they, they sued them in order to uh, get clarity, what they call injunctive relief, on whether or not Prop A trumps the housing element going forward or vice versa. Um, the the uh, Prop A folks declined to be served that um, lawsuit. And so the city turned around and sued uh, the state HCD agency uh, to get the, the answer. And that's a little bit like, you know, the, the fox guarding the hen house. The, the city went, went to, to court against the state saying, should the citizens have a right to vote um, on, on upzoning at all? Um, and and, and the, the city's position was, we think the citizens should only have a right to vote if it isn't related to the housing element. And, and HCD would argue, and HCD argued apparently that, no, no, I think Prop A is bad altogether. And so, you know, the argument is citizens get a vote only on stuff that doesn't involve the housing element or the citizens don't get any vote. Um, and so the, the, it turns out that the Prop A folks came back and said, no, no, actually we do want to be part of this because somebody needs to argue the obvious other side that just because we voted down too bad our 30 centric project, uh, uh, planning things doesn't mean that we would vote down something that makes sense for the city. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. Um, so a couple things, uh, two questions. One, uh, both the Encinitas residents for responsible development and the uh, Liebenheim Town Council. Do you guys have, or is it you, do you guys have somebody that's constantly in touch with the, with the city council to almost as a, as a representative to make sure that, uh, that we're, we as the citizens of this area are being kept in the, uh, in the loop in terms of what's going on? That's one. And then two, where is the process right now? Okay. Uh, so uh, let me make a little distinction between the Liebenheim Town Council. Um, so OTC uh, is, again, we own, maintain, and preserve those historic properties. We do a lot of good public work for the community, um, and, and it's really Liebenheim-centric and, and trying to celebrate our history, preserve our history, promote a sense of community, do good works for, for, for the public community. Um, we collaborate a little bit with city staff and, and our local elected uh, council member, Mosca, um, in order to, to, you know, work with the city when, when necessary and appropriate for, for the valley there. Um, but it's not a political organization. We, we don't 
get involved in, in politics at all, um, with, with the exception that historically we do run a candidate forum every election cycle, um, totally nonpartisan, everybody gets equal time, that kind of stuff. Um, Encinitas Residence Responsible Development was uh, founded explicitly with the agenda of driving better land use planning in Encinitas. Being a transparency agent and, and making public what's going on behind the scenes. Um, and so uh, that organization, um, myself and, and several other members of the steering committee are in um, extensive conversation with, with um, the, the commissioners on the various uh, commissions that are, that are relevant, the city council, the senior staff, the planning staff, the traffic staff. Um, and, and so, yeah, we're, 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 we're very involved in that. We try to have good professional working relations with everybody. And at the same time, uh, you know, that public accountability voice of, of no, 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 no. You don't get to sneak that one past here. Here's the flashlight. This is what's really going on stuff. Interesting. And then, so where are we right now in the whole process? I mean, are we expecting another nightmare Zoom call? Are we anticipating at some point the citizens getting together in the, in the chambers again for a public hearing? What's next? Yeah, so, so uh, Goodson needs to get his project application complete. Um, the, the planning staff has to deem it complete before anything meaningful happens on that review and approval process. Um, he's due to have his fourth cycle submission um, later this month, I believe it is, or possibly early next month. Um, he's, as I said, he's, he's mentioned that he's going to do another citizen participation plan, another CPP. The format and time of that have not been decided as far as I understand. Um, and so both of those things will happen uh, probably over the next 30, 45 days. Um, once he makes his fourth submission, the city will have 30 days to review that and decide whether or not it's complete. If he hasn't put in the CPP, it won't be complete. Um, but if he gets the CPP in, um, then it's, it's potential that that fourth cycle will be deemed complete. Um, once deemed complete, the next step is that it will go to the Planning Commission for a public hearing. Um, and that's an opportunity for the citizens to, to make lots of arguments. Um, and the, the Planning Commission has only limited authority in a by right development like this, uh, but they do have some. They have public safety that they can review. They have uh, what they call a design review process. Um, there's lots of technical issues around you know, steep slope analyses and traffic and, and that kind of stuff that gets in there. But I think at the end of the day, this project's uh, you know, going to go to the Planning Commission and Whatever the planning commission decides, invariably it gets appealed to the city council and they make the same determination. And then, because this is such a high profile case, invariably it'll trigger litigation. Um, and Encinitas Residence Responsible Development is set up to be um, the, the voice of the citizens in fighting that, that litigation battle. Hey Dan, I think just to wrap this up, I appreciate your time and great knowledge great insight. Um, just for anybody out there watching and any people concerned that want to take part or just want to participate in this, what kind of actions would you recommend or what's the way forward? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, Alivian Town Council is a public good 
uh, organization for Olivenheim. So if you live in the Valley of Olivenheim, if you consider yourself part of the community of, of, of Olivenheim, I encourage you to join as members. Um, it's, it's 25 bucks a year, nominal fee, that's for your whole family. Um, that gives you access to our newsletters, you can rent the property for social functions. You know, you're, you're a full member as, as much as anybody else. Um, and that's again, community organization, do, doing good and preserving the, 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 the historic buildings. The more political side, the Encinitas Residence for Responsible Development, um, you can visit us at EncinitasRRD.org. Um, and please, uh, if you feel compelled, make a donation to the Legal Defense Fund. Um, we're going we're gonna to fight this project. It's bad for the community. It's bad for the city. It's bad for the region. Um, and we need your help. Gotcha. Gotcha. Hey. I tell you what, uh, Dan, let's go ahead and stop it there. Uh, this was great. Uh, let's, let's definitely, if you're okay with it, let's definitely have you on again as things progress to kind of give everybody an update. So, uh, Dan Vaughn, thank you very much for your time. You're very welcome. All right. Hey, any other thoughts on this venue or where we're going with this, Dan? Um, so, to have political fight in Encinitas, it, the fight needs to move west. Um, and so there are those other 14 um, sites um, in various stages of, of development. And so, uh, you know, trying to tackle what that means for the city as a whole, or providing an avenue if, if folks are interested in, in opposing some of those other ones is, is an area that Encinitas RRD is, is interested in embracing. Um, we also believe that, that we can't be against all development. Um, that didn't work in the past. And so that, that uh, Fox Point Farms agri-hood uh, near the, near the uh, Encinitas Municipal Golf Course uh, is actually, it's a reasonably good project. If, if you believe that we do need some um, uh, affordable housing, this one builds at 30 units per, per acre. They don't take advantage of that 35 density bonus. They didn't claim by right. They went through the sequel analysis. They, 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 they did some of these other studies. And so, um, you know, the, the local neighbors there would prefer that this be agricultural zone and not housing. Um, but if you're gonna do something, that's a pretty responsible one. Um, and so I, 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 I think that we would like to uh, differentiate, you know, three and a half Home Depots on a 20 foot plateau from yeah. what was really kind of intended in the upzoning. Yeah. Uh, for my money, and I, I don't remember if it was at one of the uh, council meetings where the citizens could be there or if it was that, that event that they held over at the uh, Encinitas Senior Center, but it was that architectural teacher I think down at San Diego State, who had his students put together along the railroad tracks, literally right there where they could walk to the train station, they could walk to all the amenities. Yep. That seemed like a no-brainer. Yeah, so that's the December joint meeting. Um, it's Brett Farrow. Uh, I think I'm pronouncing his name right. It might be Farrow. Um, he's one of the uh, planning commissioners. And, and, and yeah, so that was his students that had done that work. Tony Krantz, one of the city council members, um, is a proponent of zoning the, the uh, easement of the train property there uh, for uh, this kind of housing. Um, the, uh, the folks that run the coaster uh, are 
don't want to give up ridership, so they don't want to give up parking lot spaces. So if the city wants to take over their parking lot, they need to replace the parking spaces. Uh, so there is a bit of a challenge whenever you're working with multiple layers of government and, and making something like that happen. But it's but it's a pretty good idea. Yeah. All right, Bill, you got anything else? Well, Dan, Dan, do you mind if I keep contacting you on these issues? And I don't want to pest you with emails, but if you're okay with that, I don't see it being a lot, but just questions from time to time, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then the other thing is, you specifically don't want to be political from your leaving high town council position but sorry, if you sorry, have citizens i apologize for my <laughs> if you have um people that you think would be better suited politically i would be interested to know that if you want to comment that comment that's up to you yeah i mean i i, I think in order for me to be effective i need to be friends with whoever wins okay <laughs> okay got it. i got you yeah. yeah yes sir well hey dan again thank you very much uh i would love to have you on as this process unfolds and um let's go ahead and close it out from there i will say this dan thank you very much first of all for your time really appreciate it, it was great information um if you're in the military the police Fire Department, first responders, if that's you out there, thank you very much for your service. Stay safe. Again, Dan, thank you very much. Dan Vaughn, uh, this is the Rain Man and the Sage. Take care, everybody. Thanks. Thanks for watching Rain Man's Take, observations on the world we live in. If you like the content, don't forget to hit the subscribe button below. You can also follow Rain Man's Take on Instagram at Rain Man's Take. Also, check out our website at www.rainmanstakepodcast.com and send your comments to rainmanstake at gmail.com. Keep an eye out for future podcasts, which will be coming out every Thursday at 5 p.m. West Coast time.